This podcast is brought to you by All Things Film. Awesome. No, it, it really is. All Things Film, the web's premier collection of independent movie and TV related podcasts. For more, check out www.allthingsfilm.co.uk or search All Things Film on iTunes, Stitcher or TuneIn Radio. And now, on with the show. We continue looking at martial arts superstar turned director David Chang's directorial output and post his stay at Shaw Brothers and entering a new decade, the frame got livelier, darker, weirder, spoofing western and eastern genre content and providing us with a gloomy dark comedy about reversing your fate. David Chang starts playing a little more. I'm Kenny B and with me is Tom KW and this is the Director Series 15 on David Chang's The Legend of the Owl and Heaven Can Help. So hello, welcome back to the director series, the sporadic director series, but still a series nonetheless. And I am here with Tom KW, so say hi properly, my friend. Hi properly, my friend. Good. <laughs> I've trained him to be Classic a gag. podcasting monkey. Fresh comedy, that's what you get. You know, listen to this show, obviously, just fresh. Sing Rock Around the Clock for me. <laughs> In a Brummy accent. Rock Around the Clock, Rock Around the Clock. Uh, is that something that Joy Division did when eighties band? Uh, like, is that Joy Division? No. Was it was it the police that did uh, Rock Around the Clock? No, Tom. Not every eighties band did every song. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be a cover somewhere, I'm sure. I will find one. Despite Tom being twelve years old, he's like obsessed with the eighties, which is uh, disturbing in in some way. <laughs> It's like an old soul, you know. Uh, yes, it's true, yeah. A 45-year-old man in the uh, body of a 12-year-old. Do you still buy, do you still buy like, vinyl singles? like uh, Cassettes, you know, yeah, whatever. Dead formats, you know. We love messing with dead formats, Ken, hey. Yeah, look at me, I'm a noise fan, and uh, the problem there is, with noise music, is that the cassette culture is still quite... It's noisy, uh, that's an annoying thing, you know. But the cassette culture is still very, um, like, it's it's a collectible market, and, like, noise artists release, like, um, a cassette run of 50. New releases, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's awesome. So, and and you, you can just pray that it, that it gets to digital eventually, uh, because uh, they, they get... Uh, bought quite uh, quite quickly but uh, that's where it is um the legend of the owl in heaven can help if they had soundtracks maybe they were on cass- cassettes so that's how we like connect the movies <laughs> <brought> that back. <laughs> <laughs> not not like this i'd have like um you know andy lau singing the theme song or anything in either movies so um i don't know maybe there was some uh, some music that ended up on a compilation or something you never know like a composer's compilation of uh uh, so there you go. L- look for that, people. But in the meantime, we are going to talk David Chang's continued uh, directorial career that has reached the 80s. But uh, we'll do some dips into the 70s, as I'll explain in a little bit in the rundown. But first of all, some quick contact information. This is the director series on the Podcast on Fire network. Uh, visit us on podcastonfire.com. Check this show out and the bonus episodes on there. We are on uh, Google Mail, reachable on Google Mail, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. If you have any feedback or questions, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, we're also on Facebook. Uh, despite it not being apparently hip, we're still on Facebook because we're old. 
And uh, you, we have a page that you can uh, like, facebook.com forward slash POF network. Every 10th like generates a piece of charity directed towards uh, whatever you like, the 10th liker, or I pick something, a piece of charity, and that has generated about 200 uh, British pounds so far since I started. So hey, like, you didn't have to do anything. So uh, like our page, as I said, join the main discussion going on over in the Facebook search, uh, in the Facebook group that you can search out by typing in Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search box or follow the link on the page I just said in the About section. Tweet us and follow our tweets at twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire. I write about Hong Kong cinema, Taiwanese cinema, IFD and Filmark movies. Those are wacky, Godfrey Ho, Thomas Tang movies and uh, various category free adult movies at sogoodreviews.com and I video review at sleazykvideo.com and I do my tweets and uh, write my tweets at twitter.com forward slash sogoodreviews. But director series is on iTunes if you want to follow us that way and have your podcasts delivered that way. And if you have the time, uh, please just w- rather spend a little extra time on iTunes and write a sentence or two about uh, this show or any other show on the network that you like or even dislike. You know, we would love to hear some uh, good, constructive, honest reviews. And you don't need to write a paragraph or anything. One or two sentences is very much acceptable for the iTunes review format. So uh, thank, thank you very much to anyone who has taken the time, so I hope to see uh, some more of that. And finally, Stitcher Radio, you can stream podcasts as well if you don't have any space left on your phone after all those selfies that our audience uh, takes all day long. All those food pictures. All those cat pictures. (laughs) All those cat pictures. With food in them as well. You know, I'm not a cat person. I've, you know, I, I have a principle, Tom, about, uh, about Instagram. You know, I have a principle. I don't like cat pictures or food pictures. So there, I've stated my opinion and it matters. That's fine. That's fine. Obviously, that's the place to have principles, you know, regarding those two things, definitely. Yes. Everyone listens to me. I'm a rational human being. I have an opinion. I've shared it. Now, follow my principles, people. <laughs> <laughs> But but it's true. I mean, I I'm not a cat person. Like, give me like uh, pictures of gorgeous scenery or dogs, and I'll click that like a motherfucker. Give me a sexy iguana. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Whatever. In in a scenic environment. Yes, on some rocks. Yes, they're, they're scenic. I'm sure there's a hashtag for that. I'm gonna look it up like now. Yep, there's five million of those pictures. Like you were right, Tom. You were right. Do you know what I mean? Always ahead of the trend, there, Ken. You're young, so you know these things better than than a grandpa grandpa Ken. Have a toe dipped dipped in one toe. Uh, but the point is that you can stream Podcast on Fire Network shows on Stitcher Radio through their website, but also through their application available to, among other things, your iPhone and iPad. And once you're in Stitcher, type in the director series to find us and add us to your favorites, if indeed we are your favorites. Uh, Tom reviews at vcinemashow.com. They're my favorites. Aww. Do you mean me just reviewing regardless of me? Or I mean, your reviews, your creativity, my friend. Ah, yeah, I, I review, you know, newer kind of uh, Asian cinema, mostly Hong Kong cinema, past few years, try and, uh, when I see something, uh, you know, that inspires me to write about it, whether it be good or bad. So, yeah, I have a little archive over there, not as productive as Ken, but who can be? <laughs> we can't be as productive as Ken. It's all small penis syndrome, obviously. That's why I produce so Definitely. much. Of course, yeah, of course. But I know for a fact that this is such a mild like connection to this show. Somewhere in the outline, I've mentioned A Simple Life because Paul Chun appears in A Simple Life and you've reviewed A Simple ah, Life. Ah, yes. 
good connection there, man. Do you oh, remember God. Paul Chun from uh, Simple he's Life? Good. Yeah, he's good in that. He's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice little role in that. Um, yeah, yeah. He's good. Again, another one of these Hong Kong actors that's you know still banging out you know great roles, great smaller roles. You know, in the past few years, no one's career stops in, in Hong Kong cinema. No, not really. <laughs> And it's not even a Derek Yee movie normally. Uh, well, he appears in Derek's movies, but here it's an Anne Hoy movie. So, but he's a working actor. We'll talk of uh, his work in Legend of the Owl and Heaven Can Help, where he plays a ninja and uh, gets to play with uh, oranges in the second movie. What could, what more could you ask for as an actor? But uh, vcinemashow.com is the place for Tom's reviews. We'll link to that and all the other stuff that I just said. But now for the rundown of what's going to happen here for the next couple of hours, uh, I assume. Uh, we have a couple of different sections and we're letting you know what's coming now. And uh, in the show notes, there'll be a running times for each section or segment. So if you want to jump ahead to a review or a specific uh, bio or what have you, you can. And these uh, notes that I make, uh, these running times, they're available in your or at least the itunes or iphone podcast app as well if you download the show not if you stream it but if you download the show and like tap the uh art, then, uh, then a page reveals what's written in the show post including the running times so you can check it out that way but anyway what's coming here first up for me and tom we're gonna do quick takes or short reviews of the last of david chang's directed movies in the 70s uh being the one on swordsman and The Condemned. And this is followed by The Legend of the Owl section that contains a biography on co-star Eric Tsang, followed by our review of the film. There will be a short break, and then the Heaven Can Help section concludes the episode with a bio on actor Paul Chun, followed by our review and discussion of Heaven Can Help. And then let's jump right into it. The quick takes up. It is quite a large career of movies as director. Mm. Uh, in the case of David Chang, so I didn't want to do everyone in terms of um, doing them as a main discussion i wanted to uh, you know mix up the director series format and trying to make the series a bit shorter and a bit snappy if you will and uh, we've never done this like quick reviews of films we've either skipped or um well that that's half true in the case of the nam nai choi series we had to skip at one point yeah. one movie that l- became available to us later we uh we gave it uh, a discussion then but uh for now uh, we're gonna try this a uh, quick take format if you will so between 1974's a mad world of fools and the legend of the owl from 1981 that we're gonna review david directed two movies the condemned at shaw brothers and together with jimmy wang yu he directed the one-armed swordsman and he also Starting that with uh, Jimmy Wang Yu playing their iconic roles of one-armed swordsman. Both were in 1976, but there is a third movie listed amidst all of this. Uh, his final uh, directed movie at Shaw Brothers is listed as The Whirlwind Kick from 1977. It's not available. At one point, I assumed that it wasn't restored and released by Celestial, but there are still... You know, strong hints, despite stills in circulation, that the movie wasn't even finished for whatever reason. Uh, and it seems to be a kung fu picture of some kind. Uh, the stills might have been from uh, magazines rather than like official stills, you know, like the, yeah. the black and white stills. Or probably like, yeah, this movie is in production now, here are some stills. And for whatever reason, it never came out or was finished. We'll take turns reviewing the movies that uh, took place before Legend of the Owl. And uh, first of all, we'll turn to the Taiwanese production that David co-directed, The One-Armed Swordsman. So, in short, because these are quick takes, Tom, give us your quick take, first of all. Uh, you know, after a lukewarm start to his 70s filmography, how does 
this team up for her. The lukewarm temperature uh, sustains. <laughs> uh, mate, it was sloppy and exhausting and a boring um, little swordplay drama that I had a struggle. I struggled to get through it, to be honest. You're right. You'd think a, a team-up of iconic Shaw Brothers stars reprising their one-armed roles, oh, but yeah. instead together yeah. would like generate some spark, even if it's made independently like it is here. But the answer is a painfully resounding no. It's an absolutely terrible movie. They're directing as a duo too, so you'd think like... Um, you know, despite these classic roles being taken into low-budget territory, that combined experience would get like make this swordplay movie at least stand out a little bit. But mm. it, it it's it's tough to get through. It's one hundred and ten minutes, which is way so, too so generous. Long. Yeah, it's just it's there's not enough plot for the the runtime. It's just there's not enough not enough interesting things going on, events going on, or story going on, it's just... The the sign of it's clearly going wrong early was for me that Wang Yu and David Chang do multiple drawn-out in-sequences to showcase each individual's cool and skill. You know, the, the, you know, the classic come drink with me in-sequence, only, only two of them, like, long, too long stacked on top of each other and it comes off as being too long already at that point like like the directors did their individual movie and then they merged them kind of thing yeah i, I was i was miserable watching this film i mean do you when you walk around looking like a miserable cunt the whole through the film <laughs> wow bad guy you know initially looks like jason in friday the 13th part two going through his goth phase you know fight scenes that don't even seem choreographed at times you know and a plot that hangs on the unlikely occurrence that there are an abundance of one-armed people in this fucking 10 mile radius of this village <laughs> it's, 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 it's ridiculous it's so drawn out and, and there's no fun genre trickery here there's no color there's no energy but Robert it is a long incoherent exposition filled narrative like, uh, exposition dumps galore here. And it's sadly, I mean, I wanted to like this movie because on paper, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. 110 minutes of, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, it's them. It's them as together. It might be good. And it's sadly a big embarrassment. It really is. Well, you, you get that, you get that combination of, you know, uh, of Jimmy and, and David and, and Lowly for, you know, for, for God's sake. And you should think that something should come out of it. But, um, I know one of the characters in the film is called like "Why the Fox," and and that was exactly what I was thinking afterwards. Like, "Why the Fox did I watch this movie?" Uh-huh. It's ridiculous. <laughs> did you see what I did there? Yes, I did. I worked on a few minutes on that. All right, I wrote that down and everything. I would have worked an hour on that because I'm not as clever. <laughs> the the point is that it's an oddly appropriate or and well timed embarrassment because in reality these two stars were not in their prime as box office draws anymore, and it. No, it was the end of an era, really, to be honest. Like, you're talking to 76 now, I miss it, yeah. I mean, it's it's coming to the end of an era, really. But still, I mean, I think, you know, you could have got a bit of magic just from the premise alone. But it's just the fact that they overused the one-armed, um, you know, the one-armed swordsman, the, the kind of, the, the plot of that, the fact that there's just... Because it's like, oh, he's got, he's got one arm that's on the right side. No, it's on the left. And it's, you know, who is it? And is it this person? Are they using a fake arm? It's just too much. It should have been kind of used kind of initially and then go somewhere else but it just kind of sits on that crutch for the whole of the film and like towards the end of the film it's still double guessing about who this person is because they're missing an arm it's it's ridiculous i would have hoped for some 
at least Wang Yu style brawling, despite him being the one on Swordsman. We we don't even get that. It's uh, no, it's mostly swordplay, isn't it? Kind of sloppy swordplay, to be honest. And and Taiwan could do some stuff independently and with color, but um, clearly not here. So uh, we'll uh, put one on Swordsman to best bet. It's not recommended at all, actually. And um, you you can get it on. Uh, I, I suspect the Vengeance video might be a bo- DVD in the UK. Might be a bootleg, but cover certainly looks like a bootleg. But it's only in a full screen, and uh, so if you need to get it and pay for it don't you know do what i do and try and seek it out for a fiver or something like that too. yeah i think i think uh dick wade was assistant action director on it as well so nothing so, that showed up yeah, you know? I, mean, like, like, I think it was one of his first kind of just roles in in Hong cinema behind the scenes but yeah oh, Hong cinema, Tom and cinema. um yeah i mean there's nothing there there's no trace of that <laughs> at all Let's uh, jump over to the Condemned over at Shaw Brothers. So again, uh, t- take it away, Tommy, in short and a quick take. What did you think of the Condemned? A, a step up from the previous film, but that's not really saying a whole lot. Again, there's just not enough plot for a 100-minute film. There's there's not enough going on that's that's slightly interesting, unfortunately. But action-wise, what did you think? Action-wise, okay. Because this is more of a kung fu uh, picture. Yeah, actually. a lot more kind of you know scrapping, kind of good scrapping. There's a good uh, fight towards the back end, but again, I mean, after kind of like ninety or so minutes of just you know tedium, then it's a struggle to kind of get invested in the fight scenes. But there is some good stuff towards the back end. There's some cool uh, uh, Riccio esque uh, bone breaking when it cuts. It cuts to like a, no, not an X ray, but kind of the internal bones breaking, which is used a couple of times, which is pretty cool. But at that point, it's like near the end of the film, and they're kind of bringing a bit in, a slightly bit of in, of interesting material. You know, at the very end, it's kind of a bit you know wasted. I I, but... I can recognize that that I even if I experience good action, I can't connect to it if I if the movie previously had been uh, like tough to get through. In this case. It is not a good movie, but I, I'm really fond of the action. It's his last directorial outing at Shaw Brothers, as we said. It's his most solid out of the bunch, but mostly thanks to that pronounced action side that takes the movie places, you know, action-wise and not um, story-wise. Uh, uh, it's quite a simple setup. Uh, you know, um, this character played by Tsai Hung is jailed for a massacre he didn't commit, then he's put into a cell with Jolly Pickpocket, played by David <laughs> Chang. And the Brotherhood is formed, um, the high-ranking members of society are to blame, so they, they, as soon as they get out, they target them, and you, you got revenge, you know. And I like that it starts, you know, really violent from the get-go. Uh, you know, the action choreography is uh, gritty and violent, and uh, it shows the promise, because uh, actor Tsai Hung is a giant and brute. It's a showcase for him, really, isn't it? I suppose a lot yep. of the film is. It's, it's, you really get Tsai good work out towards the end as well um there's all these kind of lovingly close-up shots of his body and stuff all oiled up and shit so it's <laughs> it's obviously kind of a showcase for him uh, you know as a kind of martial artist which i mean towards the back end it, it does kind of ramp up a bit yeah it, it does and i mean uh that that is enjoyable in the beginning then the middle section before that long action finale is uh it's it lacks, you know, drive and uh, story drive and spark yeah. you know david chang is trying to find his voice and comfort mm. as a storyteller, but it isn't happening here. Uh, however, he heads this close to, for me anyway, rather splendid and long action finale, uh, which is, you know, a sign of his action choreographers working very well and himself too, with lead uh, Tsai Hong. You know, he goes head to head in gritty and epic fight scenes versus a dozen henchmen, but like his brawls with uh, Ku Feng and Pai Ying are very cool. Like his fight with Ku Feng, you know, takes place 
you know, on, on different floors in the house. They're upstairs, they're downstairs, they just thrash that place. Even though I wasn't invested in the story, I, I thought that gritty action was very effective. Uh, it's, it's a spotty movie, very average movie, but, you know, had he been a little bit better at his job storytelling-wise, this might have been something he almost nailed, you know, because uh, it really made an impression on me. Like, this is pretty cool. It's an interesting setup, to be honest, to kind of, you know, have him, you know, try and do something or be told to do something or set on a mission to do something, and then it kind of revert, and it's kind of a, a changing of, of relationships and stuff with, with the prisoner. It could have been interesting. It could have been an interesting kind of thing, but, again, it doesn't. it just doesn't really go anywhere it doesn't go far enough i'm sure there's and there's, there's bits and pieces that were kind of missing that weren't brought up on because wasn't there was a police captain sent in the very beginning of the film originally to go and find information about say hung um and then that's never kind of brought on again he doesn't come running back at the end saying oh say hung's you know he's innocent he didn't kill anybody or anything that that's never brought up again it's never even mentioned again so it's almost like there's just story kind of a little hint story that just aren't really brought up on the score the score the score's good though there's lots of, like funk kind of ambient thing going on which was surprising to which which kind of kept me going a bit throughout the film hey, this is this is like the joy so, division i was there it's like <laughs> clicking my fingers like oh yeah like shaking my head and stuff but uh yeah other than that there's not a lot to recommend about the film really actually wise if you want to pick it up it is a long movie yeah but uh i, I thoroughly agree let's jump over to the main section then of the legend of the owl from 1981 david chang is in his post Shaw Brothers days and now in the 80s. And the 80s, we know, is quite distinctly different to the 70s in terms of cinematic ideas and what have you. So, the plot, first of all, from Hong Kong MDB user Bruce. Hello, Bruce. No second name. <laughs> <laughs> a masked mastermind named The Owl holds an exclusive auction every year selling special, special slaves and rare objects of art, including the Mona Lisa. <laughs> I'll do that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I, I thought that was a funny joke. Uh, one of the customers requests that he obtain the 36th wife of the emperor for the next auction. The Owl agrees and arranges for the woman to be kidnapped. The emperor sends a message to a trusted royal guard assigning him the task of rescuing his wife. Unfortunately, the god has died, but his son, Fan Shik Ling, played by our director David Chang, takes the assignment. He hunts up two of his father's friends for assistance. They have both retired, but their sons, Xiao Li, played by Barry Chan, and the shark, played by Eric Tsang, agree to help out. So the trio go forward on their quest to rescue the woman and unmask the owl. And in his words, Bruce... That's the basic plot, and it sounds serious, but it isn't. That's a Wuxia Pian plot, really. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you don't see, like, the images from the movie, like, he's talking about, about a Cho Yun movie here or something like that, a colorful Cho Yun movie, but no. It's a martial arts Wuxia spoof, and it co-stars, as we said, Eric Tsang. And we've spoken of Eric Tsang many times, but I think it's fair to give him, like, uh, a full rundown, because this career is amazing, and he's been... At points in Hong Kong cinema where filmmakers have set trends and he himself have been responsible for setting trends and creating series that have exploded and really taken Hong Kong cinema places. This little guy has done that. <laughs> uh, so uh, he's one of the quite few profiles, uh, or rather he's one of quite a few profiles. Uh, there are a lot of them that has done it all seemingly. Actor, director, writer, producer, television host... And in my eyes, 
he had one of the most amazing transformations as an actor in Hong Kong cinema. And uh, as the Hong Kong cinema view from the Brooklyn Bridge bio says on, um, on Eric, and it sets the stage really well, that's why I wanted to quote it. So, quote, For many of us who first became familiar with Hong Kong film back in the 1990s, the idea that one day the Hong Kong International Film Festival would honor Eric Tsang by choosing him as their filmmaker in focus in 2008 would have sounded totally bizarre, as if it was an announcement from a parallel dimension. You mean that funny-looking guy with the short, rotund body, the mortar-sized and shaped head, and an infantile laugh, that guy? To most of us, again, this is still the quote, he registered only as a frantically eye-popping comedic actor who appeared to be barely on the plus side of mental retardation, end quote. He has a point, though. He has a point, though. You never expected My Lucky Stars, Eric Tsang, to go on to great acclaim and to be... Um, mm. But even pre-My Lucky Stars, Eric Tsang was a force to reckon with, and we'll we'll talk of that because, again, I think yeah, he deserves a, a bit of a, a, a bio, if you will. Uh, so it was an earned honor, this 2008 honor, uh, after working since the early 70s. And uh, Eric was born in 1953. He was or was aiming to be a professional soccer player in his youth, but despite his build, he started to appear... Uh, that's not related to the soccer, but rather... But despite his build, he started to appear as a stuntman and backroom player in films after asking his friend Samo Hong if there was any opportunities to do so. And the Hong Kong Movie Database have identified Eric as appearing in Stoner, the George Lazenby vehicle, vehicle, the tournament... Two Golden Harvest movies, Disciples of Shaolin, Shaw Brothers, Challenge of the Masters. So Eric Tsang was not tied to Golden Harvest or Shaw Brothers exclusively based on those credits. And someone recognized being around Tsang that he could probably go into storytelling too. And it was during the making of Karl Makas, he directed it, The Good, The Bad and The Loser in 1976. You know, it's around that point where you see a lot of actual credits and get to hear of when you do research of a, of a lot of uncredited behind the scenes work by Eric on movies like The 36th Chamber of Shaolin. I believe that's a, he has a writing credit, um, uncredited. Uh, Enter the Fat Dragon, uh, he's even in that movie. And he even graduated to assistant director and editor on Summer Holmes Kung Fu classic Warriors 2 in 1978. And as these things often go, uh, these workers, um, you know, writers, all-round helpers in the industry, they land a spot in the directing chair, and same happened for Eric in 1979. Uh, because according to a bio on the site, the, the Hong Kong Cinema Brooklyn Bridge uh, website, Eric was working on the script for Jackie Chan's Fearless Hyena and was asked by Lo Wei and Raymond Chow of Golden Harvest to get Jackie out of Taiwan to make some films at home again. This actually never happened, but Eric managed to score a job as a director and assemble a first-rate cast and crew for his debut of a classic 1979 kung fu comedy, The Challenger, starring David Chang, Philip Coe, and Norman Choi. Have you seen The Challenger at any point? I see, yeah, I see Challenger and Lewis, but both solid, yeah, solid. I mean, as a director, I, he he's very, very good for you know for his first few years. I haven't seen a lot of his latest stuff um, in terms of directorial work, but yeah, I mean, very, very good, very solid uh, kung fu picks, both of them. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, comedy is pretty all right, but the kung fu is like amazing in those movies. And and you mentioned the loot, and that's uh, uh, precisely right. Same team got together for 
an almost equally fun kung fu comedy time the year after. Uh, so Eric directed uh, David, Philip and Norman in the loot in 1980. So he was surely, slowly but surely, shaping his behind-the-scenes persona, which would have even more significant, significance on uh, the industry as the 80s rolled along. And that leads us to talking about Cinema City. And the Cinema City was founded in the early 80s by Carl Macca, Dean Sheck and Raymond Wong, but partners expanded to the likes of uh, Choi Hak, his wife Nan Sun Chi, Teddy Robin and Eric Sung. And it's said that Eric fielded offers essentially, but decided to go to Cinema City after Carl Macca approved of his uh, salary demand. And I don't think that was a diva thing or anything. He just wanted a you know, fair salary for his work. And uh, he went yeah. He went to where uh, he thought... Uh, I, I don't think anyone became a millionaire working for Cinema City. I know a livelihood is what everyone was after. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Uh, this group or uh, of um, these people has been described as a great think tank of creativity. And, you know, they got together and they bounce ideas off each other. And Eric Sang has been quoted as saying, has he felt the most or the best chemistry with uh, Choi Hak? And I found a quote by Eric saying, like, I was the one who understood most of what he was saying. Yeah, everyone else would just stare at Choi Hak. <laughs> <laughs> we're, do- we're doing what now? Zoo? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shanghai Blues? And eventually Eric Sang would set would sit down in the director's chair again for Cinema City. He directed Aces Go Places, a.k.a. Mad Mission for Cinema City, and that helped to launch a massively successful action comedy film series starring Sam Hoy and Carl Macca. And we're talking fucking massively successful. All of the movies, even though all of the movies are not good, all of the movies were big hits, man. Even like the 1989 one, the fifth one. I love the fourth and the fifth one. Uh, they're my favourites. But the the first two, I mean, yeah, just massive. But there was that first, you know, kind of that first combination of the you know, the comedy and the action together, kind of in a big way for the eighties. It kind of set the tempo. Yeah, they for imported it. like um, foreign talent to work on the action, yeah. like uh, either English or American talent and what have you. Uh, so, uh, which was not uncommon for Cinema City around that time, or maybe slightly earlier. Cinema City did a horror comedy called. Uh, till death do we scare i think and that had uh, it was not a horror movie but it still had makeup effects by tom savini they got him on board so uh and uh david chang yeah D- D- david chang started that one i believe uh and erickson uh, so uh erickson directed also the sequel to aces go places which is my favorite you know it's got so many cool like robots in that one like the robot <laughs> action i like that it's so much fun i think that had japanese talent on it like to to create a special effects direction but uh, the sequel is a lot of fun but um it's uh, never directed for for them again after that sequel and parted ways with his creative partners in 1985 he worked for Sam Hong's company, Boho Films. He both acted and did behind-the-scenes uh, planning in the industry. You know, acting-wise, Eric Tsang was mostly used for comedies, as we all know. He's a big hit-and-miss presence due to his wild and broad acting, coupled with his quite hoarse voice, I suppose. I, I never truly dislike him, but he can be a lot to take in. Mm. Well, he got, he got kind of t- typecast, I suppose, didn't he? Kind of in that role as the kind of, you know, little doofus. Which is which is which is a shame, really. You know, he's obviously he didn't get a chance until kind of the nineties to to really shine in in other areas. But yeah, throughout the eighties, he's, he's yeah hit and miss for sure. And uh, it said that uh, Eric even shot part of uh, Jackie Chan's Armor of God. And uh, what, from what I heard, he directed or co-directed uh, the Yugoslavia portion prior to Jackie being injured. And once the movie was 
on again, Eric Tsang had moved on to other projects, so uh, it was all Jackie at that point, and, and, and that's the story I heard, because you, you'd assume that the movie production went down for a couple of months, or half a year, or a year, or whatever, uh, after, after Jackie's quite serious injury, it's the one where he got a hole in his head. Yeah, I think he directed the first part, and then I think once Jackie came back to filming it, um, Eric was was busy, possibly, or he'd already signed on for another film, because it was a massive break between, obviously, Jackie having his accident and then finishing production on it. Mm -hmm, Absolutely, and uh, he was busy in 1987, Eric, that is, setting up his own production company, Alan and Eric Films, together with Alan Tam and Teddy Robin Kwan, a company that was seemingly striving to showcase new talent and material, and... uh, the company holds some uh, quite notable movies, uh, for me anyway. They produced Clara Law's first film, The Other Half and The Other Half. Clara Law has been uh, mostly famous, I think, in Hong Kong for the movie Temptation of a Monk, but has done some very good films and even some uh, movies in Australia because she uh, emigrated uh, prior to the uh, handover and did some movies in Australia with some um, notable talent that is now famous in America. You know, she did a movie with Rose Byrne. Uh, she's in the Insidious films, I believe. Uh, she's uh, done some TV, and uh, but the movie she did with her is something called The Goddess of 1967. Uh, back in Australia, she plays a blind girl. So that was a part of the Alan and Eric films uh, canon. They also produced Patrick Tam's quite rare Burning Snow. Patrick Tam is the director of The Sword, and after this, our exile uh, a few years ago. But this dance, you know, producing these kind of movies, that wasn't a fine commercial move. And eventually the company went out of business. And I blame Alan Tam. (laughs) (laughs) He did it. He was fiddling. He was fiddling with the receipts. I know he was. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but I still blame him. Uh, but he struck gold. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Fuck on Tam. Not Team Tammy. Not Team Tammy. <laughs> I'm not on Team Tammy. But anyway, Eric Sang struck gold with a new batch of creative partners in the 90s at UFO, United Filmmakers Organization. It was formed in 1993, and the focus was clearly contemporary urban stories and no like genre fare as such and it had immense talent in front of the camera a lot of movies with jordan chan tony long chui even eric sang himself but the talent behind the camera was quite immense you got peter chan joe ma teddy chan lee chi nai samson choi and uh, still working directors and acclaimed directors and a slew of comedy and drama classics uh, came out of this such as yester you yester me yesterday which is samson choi's Hong Kong version of The Wonder Years. That was a, a UFO picture. They also did uh, Tom, Dick, and Harry. He ain't he- <laughs> he ain't heavy. He's my father. You talking about my penis, Ken? Not this time. Not this time. <laughs> Not this time. <laughs> Uh, he ain't ever he ain't heavy. He's my father, which is like a time travel movie. And uh, he's a woman, she's a man. Which and comrades almost a love story. Two big comedies for two latter ones. Anita, Anita Yoon and uh, Leslie Cheung. And he's a woman, she's a man. And Eric Sang yeah, in it as well. Comrades almost a love story was a terrific showcase for Eric Sang. It's part of that actor transformation as he donned that role of a very kind triad that takes care of uh, Maggie Cheung. And uh, but th- th- that was not the first sign of it, you know. Early in the nineties, there was a movie called Alan and Eric between Hello and Goodbye, where we had our first sight of this almost never before seen dramatic, subtle range of Eric Sang's in an otherwise flawed film. Actually, I think it uh, doesn't hit all the right notes again. Alan Tam, <laughs> I'll tell you, he's not good in that movie. I don't. But uh, Eric Sang is just acting like his ass off in that movie. He's way above both Maggie and Alan. You know, and uh, he received um, Eric that is multiple awards for his uh, performance across the, um, those two films. 
And the company uh, UFO uh, enjoyed a solid run, but end of the nineties productions failed to light up light up the box office, and eventually the company fell apart uh, in the beginning of the millennium. You know, UFO had done its thing, but uh, it did uh, quite well for a number of years. But it didn't stop Eric the actor from evolving and finding a newfound comfort on screen with terrific performances in Stanley Kwan's Hold You Tight, Riley Yip's Metade Fumaca. I never know if I pronounced that title right. It's a Portuguese phrase, uh, but he co-stars with uh, Nick Tse. He has Alzheimer's in that movie every time. And of course, got to show the world his acting chops after the world probably wrote him off in the 80s. Uh, so, and uh, that's where we jump ahead to 2002's Infernal Affairs, where Eric Tsang played the triad boss Sam, you know, sporting a bleach blonde haircut and quite a demeanor that you took seriously. I mean, that was the, uh, that's the start really of him kind of being in these, these roles kind of fitting perfectly into these kind of elder triad boss kind of roles. Cause he did similar roles in, uh, Cop on a Mission, is it with, uh, with Daniel Wu? He, he really got into kind of a phase there with, uh, I think he just found his feet in terms of acting, uh, you know, immensely. But it's like a lot of these guys, like, like you kind of have a certain, you know, maybe look and feel and, and kind of a way of acting in the 80s and the type of films that you're in. And then you get to a new decade and it's almost like you're given a second chance. It's almost like you're given kind of, you know, a new lease on acting to kind of get into, which is, which is great. And I'm glad Eric Fine, I'm glad he's kind of, you know, and he's, he's praised now for his acting because as you know, we, we, we've all seen it. He's a great actor, great dramatic performer. Very much so. I liked him in Going Home to the segment in the first three, uh, where he, he co-starred with uh, Leon Lai. Uh, where Leon Lai keeps his like dead wife in his apartment, but but it's less of a horror movie and quite quite a good drama. Leon Lai won an award for that movie, rightly so. Again, yeah. you know, grew older and finally got some great material to work with. With and Leon Lai responded, and uh, uh, Eugenia Yuan played his dead wife, and that's the daughter of uh, Cheng Pei Pei. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Uh, he still acts and produces in a variety of genres. Eric Tsang, uh, as well as supporting new talent. You know, he's reached that point where he brings assuring presence to even bit parts, especially dramas. Yeah. You know, it's so much fun to see him pop up. I remember him in, in uh, Claustrophobia, the Ikin Cheng movie, the really good movie. Such an assuring, like, low-key presence, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see him. But, but his comedy side is still present, but, he, present, but I don't think it's exactly the same as in the mid-80s. Um, I'm, I'm hoping it's a bit evolved. because subtle. I haven't, <laughs> A little bit more subtle, because I haven't seen a lot of the Lunar New Year comedies that he's been uh, behind during the last few years, uh, such as 72 Tenants of Prosperity, I Love Hong Kong, so I'm hoping he's, he's good in those movies uh, uh, when he does appear. Uh, he has also produced on the theme of supporting new talents, uh, he has produced small movies by up-and-coming talents, uh, like um, Adam Wong, who directed Magic Boy, and uh, Derek Kwok, uh, who um, made a movie, uh, I believe it was his first, called The Pie Dog, that uh, Eric Tsang co-starred in, and uh, Derek Kwok went on to co-direct Gallant, which won the best film at the Hong Kong Film Awards a few years ago. Yeah. And uh, recent acting roles for Eric includes uh, in uh, being in Herman Yao's Ip Man, The Final Fight versus Anthony Wong. Um, have you seen that? I think it's a fairly big role. I haven't seen any of the, um, the uh, other Ip Man movies, uh, the Herman Yao ones. As of yet, no. It was really, um, really uh, acclaimed. And uh, Anthony Wong as Ip Man, I think, is very uh, an appealing uh, role, actually. Mm. Um, and uh, Eric Tsang is in that movie. He's also in Aberdeen for director Pang Ho Cho. You know, so few really enjoy this activity behind and front of the camera to this extent. You know, he is quite yeah. unique. A few has also 
enjoy the longevity factor. You know, he's um, mm-hmm. he's a crucial trendsetter several times in Hong Kong cinema throughout the years. And uh, you know, anyone who create who can create a buzz in a positive way and even a negative way, if you don't like him, you know, people still know of Eric Tsang, You know, but he has made an undeniable impact, and that is such a great. Uh, you know, accomplishment and a great like uh, benefactor for Hong Kong cinema. Uh, but some other notes, you know, uh, people who watch TV, they see Eric Tang all the time, really. <laughs> uh, he, he was the host for many years of the TVB variety show Super Trio Series. I think it's called Series. <laughs> uh, co-hosted by Jerry Lam and uh, Chin Ka Lok. It features a lot of Hong Kong celebs, like uh, pageant contestants, and games that involves the guests and the audience. And Wikipedia describes the games as usually ridiculous or sexually provocative. Oh yeah, ooh la la. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, he has hosted at least one of the spin-offs after the main show ended its uh, long run. One reason which he, um, that he kind of came back, I think, or worked you know, extensively uh, in TV and movies at one point. He was very open about this fact. He took a big hit personally, uh, financially, rather, during the financial crisis and uh, favored work and movies quite intensely during this period. So, and he, he was very vocal about that, that uh, it's not to be disgusting about it. Like, uh, it was not, he needed the work, you know, to make a living. It probably took yeah. a quite quite a big hit. There's not never like, you know, poor gossip about the Eric Sang. No, like, no, oh, he's still, like, he's still rich. Why, what is he talking about? Like, it seems like a good, uh, good guy. Uh, one of his sons, Derek Tsang, is uh, an actor. He's a writer and uh, he's also directed a little bit, I believe, uh, and half have worked closely with director Pang Ho Chung on movies such as A.V., Isabella, and Dream Home, both as an actor and uh, a writer. In Dream Home is the guy who gets the bottle shoved in his uh, in his neck. Quite a gr- gruesome murder in Dream Home. Love it. Love it to death. Eric's dad, uh, Tsang Kai Wing, was a policeman. But was convicted of uh, corruption in 1976 and fled to Taiwan. And uh, as Kenneth Wu said on the Facebook group, uh, his dad was one of the powerful four, a legendary group of bad cops within the Royal Hong Kong Police Force, straight out of a 70s Sydney Lumet, Lumet flick. But uh, the powerful four hit the headlines during the 70s for being investigated by the ICAC for corruption charges and various abuses of power behind their posts. However dubious the honor by this association this is still kenneth wu's uh, quote i think it earned sang some stripes as a celeb- as a celebrity and a worthy placeholder in the hong kong film history no matter how weird that might sound and finally people might have once seen the 2001 movie merry-go-round with eric sang sporting quite a lot of bruises and wounds in his face or seen shots of him outside of that movie in the magazines we have you at the time and this was due to an assault on him at the time, believed to have been allegedly orchestrated by canto pop singer and actress Joey Jung. Uh, after, from what I read on the internet, um, some comments or dicks uh, of Jung by Eric Tsang. By the way, Yo uh, uh, Jung, I should just uh, state this, she was arrested as well as an elderly boss of a company and a Sun Jion Triad Society leader was arrested uh, after this assault. Uh, but the kind of origin point of these comments that Eric Tsang made 
A rumors, not confirmed ones, circulated in the industry that Joey was essentially sleeping with a high-ranked man or men in the, in the entertainment business to further her career. And Tsang had kind of commented or joked about it in a way that led to the incident. I don't have his quotes, so I'm not going to say if he was mean-spirited or just a immature dig or a mild dig or whatever, but... Reportedly, nothing more really came of the incident officially, but as as Paul Fox uh, said to me, I, I wrote to him about this and asked for his uh, like a memory of this. You know, who knows? Maybe all parties settled in a triad-style meeting behind closed doors. But the fact of the matter is, you know, publicly, uh, it's been some evidence of like the tension, if you will, uh, after all of this. Uh, he left Hong Kong for a while, Eric Tsang, but did return to work in movies and even hosted the Miss Hong Kong pageant wearing a bandana to cover his wounds you know so good on him brave on him because yeah still, he comes in like a wheelchair like rolls himself in i couldn't miss this <laughs> <laughs> and uh detention i was talking about like uh, um I'll, I'll talk about it in a little in a little bit but as for joey young's career at least movie wise there wasn't anything extensive from 2001 and onwards and there, there's been speculation uh, that that's connected to the incident even if she wasn't blacklisted or anything but at various award ceremonies there's been evidence of uh, that the professional and very jolly eric have been you've seen him kind of step back or down whenever joey young was involved in presenting or receiving an award maybe not out of fear but he maybe he doesn't want to waste energy on her after being wronged in his eyes. Uh, so that's uh, that's Eric Tsang's story, I believe. And again, f- thank you to Paul Fox for sharing some of this Hong Kong perspective. I, I have no extensive knowledge about TV and obviously not uh, gossip and what have you, but I knew of the incident after having seen that movie Merry Go Round because they don't really conceal it in the movie. He looks like he's been beat up, uh, but they don't make a fuss of it in the movie. And it's a very sweet movie, actually. Um, so that's my long, long discussion. Eric Tsang, do you want to say anything spontaneous about uh, the short retirement, <laughs> little man? Well, no, he's he's great, man. I mean, you know, as I said, kind of, you know, while you were while you were kind of going through it, it's it's yeah, he's, he's just great, and he, he's an actor that you know might have been forgotten about if it was just for his age roles, because again, he was kind of typecast, kind of as a you know the kind of little shit, really kind of you know the little brother or you know the kind of hindrance to the main character or something kind of with his with his silliness but he really came with his own into his own as an actor you know in the 90s and the 2000s it's great to see him getting you know kudos for being a uh you know a good actor because he is a very good uh dramatic actor as well as you know a comedian it's good that he can do both and get praise for both all righty that's eric Tang. we are leading this into the review of legend of the owl so Tommy, in short first because i've been speaking for so long we're back to david chang so what did you think in short of a legend of the owl legend of the owl i, I had an okay time with it man um i didn't get on with it as well as, I, as i'd like but I did find myself like sighing a few times <laughs> at, at, the, at the comedy. But I, I, I commend and respect the film for being almost pre-Stephen Chow. Stephen Chow, um, you know, I don't think you know, kind of anywhere near the the quality as 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 he would kind of you know deliver. But uh, I, I, I commend it for kind of doing that. It's it's silly and uh, it's silly and enjoyable. <laughs> Quick take for me, spoofs because this is can be hit and miss. And this is hit and miss, but also largely very amusing. It's energetic and even laugh out loud funny at points with both the Western and Eastern influences uh, up for referencing and spoofing. Bo- both of them made me uh, made me laugh, if you will. So it's not 
strictly, you know, a parody of a Choyun movie. It uh, brings in Western influences, and uh, we'll, we'll mention some of them, obviously not all of them. But here's uh, an, an important change in David Chang's career. One, he's, he's made a movie that Tom liked, but the, de- <laughs> the, the decade is new. You know, we're in the 80s now, and Shaw Brothers for him was a past thing. And focus on filmmaking and acting uh, perhaps felt more free, you know, in a decade that uh, it was maybe not super evident in 1981, but it was a decade, uh, the early parts of it that came with it with this angry new wave and and uh, new kind of action, a new kind of action comedy, heroic bloodshed, and yeah. the movie taste of the audience changed. You know, Shaw Brothers went out of business for a reason. They were not the taste of the, um, you know, the general public anymore. You know, Cinema City, uh, yeah, among other you know, uh, studios in Golden Harvest, they uh, challenge shores. And, uh, but uh, as I said, oh, Owl was not part of the angry. It's a very silly movie. It's a kung fu comedy. It's not far-fetched that this was made, you know, because Wu Xiaopian was familiar to audiences and uh, comedy was familiar to audiences, uh, mainly in combination with kung fu. So I don't think this was this original, like, far-fetched idea to let's spoof this crap, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ch- Cho Yun was still making these movies at Shaw Brothers, you know, even in the 80s. And uh, David was in at least one of them. He had a smaller role, but a very cool role in Death Duel, the Derek Yee starer. Uh, David Chang played this uh, prisoner they transported in this uh, cart, and uh, you, only his head was above the uh, was above the, the lid of the cart. Uh, and uh, once he broke out, you know, all kind of massacre happened. So I thought that was really a cool cameo for for David in his uh, brother Derek's uh, starring vehicle. And uh, Derek Yee actually, actually co-wrote Legend of the Owl, so uh, there, there's a brotherly connection here and Paul Chun is in it as well. So the family, family is uh, gathered up. What he's doing with Owl for me anyway, and uh, you, you can. You know, have a thought of this uh, about this as well. That he's jumping from more conventional genre genres from his first four movies. You know, although Mad World of Fools was this attempt at colorful comedy, but it didn't work. It's it's the jump here is to more colorful. You know, the designers have an opportunity to make this widely designed frame, and his cinematographer can play with colors. And I think yeah, it's one of his first like more playful movies. You know what I mean? Yeah, agreed. It's 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 less serious. It, it's almost showing a kind of side, a, a humorous side, and a kind of lighter side to you know the kind of stoic nature of, of the first four movies. But it sees him moving with the times, kind of into sillier, more just more kind of just free spirited kind of you know audiences were definitely looking for something different at the start of the decade, and you know we we got throughout the decade a lot of new and different and exciting filmmakers, and I think it's him part of that kind of jumping on that train. And it, it feels like for the first time, he's maybe got freedom feel. It feels maybe that, you know, maybe there was a, a certain mandate or maybe there's something certain, uh, certain thing that he had to achieve, which with Shaw brothers that, you know, he felt pressured to do with his first few films, but this time it feels like he's got a new, it's independent film. He's, he's getting a new lease on, on life and his filmmaking with this. Cause it, it's just ideas. It's just full of good ideas. And I think that's, what's lacking in his first four films is that, yeah. There's a there's a lack of good ideas and a lack of kind of just irreverence and just silliness with this. It's kind of all these ideas are just packed into it. Um, and I think in terms of him as a filmmaker, as acting and directing as an actor, he's coming into his own now with escaping the Shaw Brothers roles that he's yeah. kind of used to. And he starts, you know, comedies, action comedies, uh, horror, comedy, um, 
you know, he, he's starting to, you know, as a kind of, uh, as a face, kind of build it as, as, as a, as a older kind of veteran actor, kind of in these young filmmakers movies. So it's, it's, a, it's a start of a, a good decade for him. And it was good that he was still part of it, but it's, it's different, very, very different to, um, his your brother stuff. And, and, and speaking of the start, obviously we see, uh, the owl who's obviously got, it's not like a fancy name for uh, a symbolic name. You know, he's got an owl mask, this guy, whoever he is, we're going to find out who he is at the end of the movie. <laughs> but, uh, they hold this auction, which is very funny, you know, and also in this sword play universe, uh, people greet each other in English. So it's that kind of movie like, hello. Hello. Yeah. And uh, when the owl enters, I love this, he's a rock star, you know, he enters, but he does pretty limp choreography, like he's almost feminine, like he's a canto-pop star, or like a magician or something, like. He, he, is, he is a magician, because at the end he's got all his, like, stuff coming out of his cape and stuff, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, like, yeah. He's going <laughs> As it turns out, when we find out who it is. Big surprise. <laughs> and he starts auctioning off uh, black people, or rather, a Chinese uh, uh, actor, actors uh, paint painted black, <laughs> which is what it is. I mean, it's, uh, it's which uh, is date, dated, yeah, yeah, definitely reeks of of the, the time, definitely. But you know, this auction, you know, if you want it, we can get it. You know, they got Tarzan's Jane here. Yeah, you know, they're like oh, Tarzan, yeah. go and save me. They've got the Boise. Mona. They've got <laughs> yeah, exactly. They've got the Mona Lisa there. You know, obviously, it makes sense in this universe. They got it all. So, uh, so it's not a far fetched thing that they're gonna try and kidnap the thirty sixth wife, you know, of the emperor. That had to be out yet, Dak. Why 36? No one knows. It has to, it has to be 36. Yeah, it has to be 36. So, so it, it, I think this initial sequence is quite quite amusing. You know, they're, they're not deep gags, and there's even referential humor. I think at one point someone calls someone Kenny B, the singer Kenny B. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've won Kenny B. I've, I've yeah. Won Kenny B. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've won him. I've won him. Because, because all the women want the, uh, like, I think it's in the case of the uh, the the Black Slave. Uh, they want, clearly want that for sexual purposes, you know. <laughs> like, I've won him, I'm gonna call him Kenny V or something like that. So, <laughs> but, but it, but it has the energy, I mean, and, and silly energy, you know, amusing energy. And I, I like stuff like when they send off the message to, um, that the 36 wife is about to be kidnapped in that the tube post. And you hear the soundtrack, and it shoots through like different houses, you know, the strings across this land, you know, it's not tube post, it's string, it's post on a string, you know, so it goes through bedrooms and landscapes and and then stops. And then it's there. <laughs> and I don't know. I'm weak for that kind of stuff. I think it shows maybe it's a relief that David finally has some energy in his movies, but I still think it's a yeah. pretty uh, amusing opening. Oh, what do you think? Yeah, I, I like it a lot. I, I think that opens well. There's a lot of good um, sight gags as well, and kind of sort of humor as well. I like just I think the, the bar, the barman's kind of making cocktails with with a bamboo, like he's mixing it in, a, in like kind of a bamboo shit and stuff. And it's just it's kind of like it really does feel like for the first time. Every little thing's been thought of, and just, just kind of like, just the frame kind of composition, and just kind of what's in the picture and stuff, and what we're seeing. It almost feels like it's it's been thought about and kind of planned, rather than those old films. Kind of feel like put a camera on and just, you know, play out this scene. This is what's going to happen. And even in even in kind of you know the previous film, Mad World of Fools, which is supposed to be along the same lines in terms of wacky comedy, it almost feels very kind of like stale with the way, you know, everything's kind of put together in the shop. But with this, it feels like there's stuff going on, there's, 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 there's this going on in the corner and and there's this going on in the in the background and the, the main thing, the main characters are having, you know, this conversation, this silly conversation. So it's good and it's good opening. It really lets you know kind of what 
you're getting into with the film. And, and again, man, this is like, what, 88 minutes or something. It's so, like, he's got, you finally got the idea that it's... Brevity is your friend. Yeah, I mean, you were, as, yeah, and you can only drag the film along for as long as you've got ideas. And if you haven't got ideas, then it's just going to, you know, drag it on for hundreds and something minutes. It's not, it's not going to, you know, be successful. But this, he gets banged on, like, 80 minutes, and it's it's just filled with, you know, there's gags that, of course, it's hit and miss. It, some fouls, some, some, some hit, but... It's just he's got the idea now to kind of get your ideas as quick as possible and get them in and kind of just make the film move, which this does. Yeah, I mean, a good example of how to move it quickly, there's a scene where uh, the Emperor sends away that uh, that god to find a wife and then a narrator steps into a frame. And nine months na- and nine months, <laughs> And nine months pass and then he moves out of the frame and then he comes back like, hello, it's been nine months now. It's, 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 kind, of, it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's funny, like, it's kind of a funny, like, jab because it, nothing changes, like, the guy just pops in and the scene just plays out again and it's, it's, it's funny, it really is, it's fun. You know, they, they, in the kingdom, they, there's nothing really to do but to sit there and the gods uh, have to stand there, I suppose. <laughs> but the danger here is still, like, it is broad comedy we're getting here, and yeah. that that's a danger in Hong Kong cinema because the banter, the loud banter, could fall flat if it's not, if there's no chemistry behind the perform in the performance between the performers. David kind of manages by moving the picture; he never stops the movie for like five, ten minutes, like banter back and forth between Eric Tsang and Barry Chan and, and himself. No, no, no. It's it's moving. It's they pick up the pieces and they move, and it's moving towards the end goal again. Something that's not really seen in his previous films. It spends too much time lingering on scenes with characters that are just you know it's just exposition and it's 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 talking and, and and more than it's kind of showing. Do you know what I mean? It's it's kind of like telling you rather than showing. It's kind of telling you kind of this is what's happening. Rather with this, it's kind of showing you the characters that are are literally physically moving towards a greater goal and, and again that 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 really helps the film a lot to move i was delighted that um the reference that he makes at the point i'm going to discuss actually was his train of thought because uh the parrot uh that the emperor sends is, is supposed to be delivering the message to david chang who's at the grave of his fathers and the parrot delivers the message and it dies and i'm thinking like hey the message <laughs> will self-destruct Cut to the next scene where David Chang is looking at different paintings of the, oh, the Mission Impossible theme, yes, and the that's... and the Mission Impossible theme is playing. Dum 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 dum. Did you recognise everyone in those pictures? I think there was, there was Jackie Chan was there. There was Charlie's Angels. There was some that I didn't know what they were. I was kind of like, what? Who, who's that? Like, what's <laughs> what's that? It reminds me of the similar scene in uh, Is it Fantasy Mission Force when they're going through who's going to be suitable for the job? And yep. they're like James. <laughs> <laughs> Roger Moore and James, James Bond, but he's busy. So, but but what he's doing here is probably looking at the persons he wanted to get, but they're too old by this point. So so he gets you know Eric Tsang and uh, Barry Chan, and uh, it, it's quite lovely. You know, he's got um, he meets one person that is hugely sick and he's coughing up phlegm and what have you, and they're sitting there with their teacups. He opens his teacup. David does. And he realizes there's no uh, liquid in it, and he realizes that it's probably the spit cup he was about to drink out of. You know, the phlegm cup, which I love. It's like these are non-verbal gag. You know what I mean, though? Yeah, yeah, it works, and I get it. that works. Works like it's there's not. It's just all kind of verbal, kind of scenery gags, which uh, which works a lot. I mean, it doesn't get really bogged down in kind of any um, you know stuff that could be lost in translation. I think there's a. F- few things that maybe kind of i was like okay is that is that maybe lost in translation i don't quite understand what the reference is but for the most part yeah it's just kind of cool cool visual gags that you know work internationally yeah 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 mostly it does and uh, I, I think uh while he's gathering up his team you know it seemed to be to verge on 
loud and grating when introducing this obese and this flamboyant character, but soon with, you know, Barry Chan and Eric Tsang all gathered up, you know, so it seems like, oh no, it's a going, no, he's back on track, you know, it's, um, and there, there, there is, I think the earliest sign for me anyway, of this being either in, being early Stephen Chow, but also definitely inspired, I think Airplane was made a year before the parody, Airplane. So maybe we're thinking of the same gag, but Eric Stein doesn't want to go, so David Chan starts beating him up, and then someone else after him starts beating him up, and then the camera shows that there's a line. I think it's it is, the yeah. Same gag, yeah, it's the same gag. Uh, the woman who gets slapped around on the plane, like, calm down, like, doctor, you need it in the cockpit. And then everyone is standing there with weapons and shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's the same gag, but again, yeah, that's, that's why I think it feels different because it's going for that. It, it, it's, it's, it's definitely not, it's not kind of trying to copy it, but it's going for the same vibe, isn't it? It's going for the same feeling as kind of something like Airplane. And that's what gives you that kind of Stephen Chow feeling you get from it. I like it a bit. It's one of my favorite gags in any Stephen Chow movie when anyone gets beaten up by like 10 people in, in... violently and viciously. Yeah. <laughs> and then he gets uh, in, into a frame and he's got like blisters all over him and stuff like that. Oh, is that scene with character actor uh, Owlup Bo is just the most ugliest woman in the, in the world? <laughs> it's horrendous. Looks absolutely horrendous. I suppose the ugliest woman in this movie is uh, Paul Chun as the ninja oh, who wants yeah. to, uh, you know, ki- kill his uh, trio, you know, he's on his mission. Here's where the Western influences come in again for David. He's They enter this inn, which is more akin to a Western saloon. You know, so he's he's referencing the Western genre here because at one point, you know, a singer comes out and Eric Tsang is so excited he faints like, ah! And then he wakes up and then faints again. And all the men run to the stage like it, like they are female fans of a boy band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to do an air can can. And what they're doing is so uh, what, what you kind of seen in this movie is like they're, they're dancing in the, in a particular style. And you hear that song like you hear in many westerns, like da 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 those are quotable gags and they come tight and quick, you know, there's a gag a minute at some point, you know, so not everyone is gonna feel fresh and funny, you know, Eric Tsang acts as Bruce Lee at one point, yeah, that's fine, he acts as Bruce Lee, but it's not inspired any music as such, uh, you know. No, not really, it doesn't feel very original, but the the gag I think after that, when they start, everyone starts arguing about, um, you can't you can't touch that person, that's my cousin, you can't touch that person, that's my cousin's friend, that's my cousin's friend's husband, yeah. like, that kind of, <laughs> that play on, that, I mean, that's that's great, that, that, that's really inspired, that kind of feels inspired, so again, if it, one doesn't work, there's one kind of, there's a gag straight after that that kind of fills its place and does work. It, absolutely, and uh, some you don't even expect. Like um, again, on the theme of we, we're mentioning it, some of them and not all of them. But obviously, you at least need to briefly mention that David the parody is alien in this movie. Uh, yeah. And I didn't expect that. Uh, they, no, they, no. they they find this little fella, you know, this midget or dwarf that apparently has an owl inside of him and it bursts out of him in a bloody fashion. Uh, quite grotesque, wasn't it? It was quite, quite off put by it. I was like, wow. Ugh. Ugh. Is that, was it a real owl as well? Like in some shots. It, lo- it, it, lo- it looked good. It looked good. It did. It didn't look like an obvious puppet. Uh, so maybe they, you know, put some paint on that or color on that actual owl and it got to burst out of uh, this uh, plastic hole that they created. They just put it underneath a cherry pie 
<laughs> Maybe they did. did. Straight up. That's what I thought. Those. My, my train of thought there, yeah. But, uh, you, you know, at 88 minutes, it keeps on going, and there, there is memorable stuff here. I love the little scene with uh, Norman Choi, uh, Norman Choi's character, where they are going to, in a courteous manner, um, eat together and serve each other. And I thought at one point, I thought at one point that uh, David Chang was suspicious of there might be poison in the food. So he's like, he's like, off to you, off to you. He tries to hand him food, and and it turns into almost a food fight. But I, what I think is the guy, I might be wrong, is that both of them are like stubborn, courteous uh, eaters. Yeah, if they're you trying will. to be cool. That's what I got. Yeah, they're trying to be courteous to each other, so they're kind of trying to figure each other. <laughs> but that's it's grotesque. It's vile after a bit. Just well, like, everyone oh, else is sitting God. there, like, oh, it's coming at me, <laughs> like, like food thrown in the face. It's just this horrendous. So, so how do you think Chang is looking, you know, as a comedic actor here? Because in Shaw Brothers, Shaw Brothers, I didn't really like him as a comedic actor. No, he's got that, he's got that kind of, that cheekiness to him, that kind of cheeky kind of, that youthful kind of boyish kind of cheekiness to him, which I think it works well. Um, not amazing, but I think he, he's, he's very, very good um, kind of playing that. And again, that was the roles he'd start playing now, wouldn't it? It's kind of like the... The kind of, you know, either older gentleman who's kind of a bit quirky and a bit funny or, you know, roles like this where he's kind of playing like something you'd expect him to be, kind of like, uh, you know, a police captain or something, but he's kind of a bit daft as well. So I think he, he, he does good to start many roles like that for him, but um, I think he does good. He, he does good. This is a martial arts spoof, but there's no really true focus on action until later in the movie, and uh, which I don't mind. I mean, it's uh, the genre, it's the genre tropes that are parodied here, and I, I think that's uh funny so i think i guess the first one is it's very silly but i love the cameo anyway by yasuaki karata as a ninja yeah. because at this time karata you know had like uh, monopoly on some of the ninja roles uh, oh, yeah. uh challenge of the ninja a life of yeah. ninja but but yeah i mean it's a silly role because at one point his pants get pulled down and you see his bottom and he has to leave the leave the scene that way like one exit <laughs> so i mean i i just love I, i'm into the movie to that degree like hey they got karata that's cool you know what i mean like it doesn't need to be much because karata is you know the man he's so badass and here he, you see his bottom and that's good <laughs> it's good he was in a lot of, like, in a lot of Taiwan Taiwanese um, ninja flicks around this time wasn't he a, a, a life of ninja and challenge of the lady ninja made, made with the same team uh, yeah I think that's all I was thinking of yeah yeah uh, but uh, how I think the standout sequence in terms of creativity is uh, when uh, the trio they're, they're in this they're in the owl lair and there's traps and what have you and they wind up finding <laughs> these wind up Peking opera fighter ro robots essentially. So what do you think of that whole sequence? It's still, it's, it's well thought out. They got again, it's ideas and it? it's the creativity to kind of pull off those ideas. But I think that's it's a really good scene. It kind of um, do we get the kind of initial we get the you know the proper kind of ending kind of end boss kind of fight, but we also get that little thing before as well. But it makes some unique kind of creativity within terms of the fight scenes because of what they are and, and you know trying to stop them and it it's, it's good it, it really kind of keeps it it keeps the films rolling rolling and um i do like kind of how how they have to try and you know stop them because again they are just wind up toys or wind up dolls but then they start one again for some yeah, reason yeah yeah it's a real, i think oh, they, get, the hell? they get stuck like yes to turn it on and turn it off which is is good it's, it's really really good it's really good which i thought was the finale and kind of i think okay is this how it's going to be but then you get more and you get 
to find a conversation with Yal, and it's yeah, the it's reveal, cool. the reveal, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we, we're gonna spoil some stuff here because I think the best gag is I, I, I want to talk about it because I, I think it's such a funny gag as written prior to it, and this is why at the top of the show you heard "Rock Around the Clock" for whatever reason. It might be too embarrassing for the movie, but for whatever reason, as David Chang is fighting the um, still masked owl, I believe. They, their choreography is so, so dance-like that on the soundtrack, you hear one, two, three, four, rock, rock, five, six, seven, rock, eight, rock, rock, and they do that for about 20 seconds, like, okay, I guess he liked rock around the clock, and that's how we work it in. It's inspired, yeah, it really is, uh, it's inspired, because the way that they're kind of trading blows is very kind of dance-like, and then they just end up dancing, and I think Dave does like a flip like across, and it's, it's awesome, it's a really good gag, and that, there's that gag, and that leads to my other favourite gag, is when uh, the guys the guys kind of come on with the stretchers, like ambulances, and the, the ambulance noise comes on, like, and then they just stop for some some uh, injured guy to get put on the stretcher and take it off, and then continue fighting. And yeah, working uh, double double duty there because their fighters are falling left and right. <laughs> it's quite an active finale, which which leads to again, this is a spoiler part, but it's parodying it's parody of uh, ending reveals in uh, Wu Xiaopian complex Wu Xiaopian. Yeah. Finally, the owl is gonna unmask himself, and he said, "Like you never expected it to be me. It's me." Lu Xiaofeng, and we see an actor behind the mask who we've never seen before, and initially they don't kind of, uh, right, let's just fight him. Yeah. So, so they do, and then there's a second reveal, you know, because that was a mask, and boy, was it a complex, like, face-off style mask. Or rather, he unmasks himself, and he turns into actor Chen Sing, and the trio, what are their reaction to seeing Chen Sing, uh, behind that mask? Do they recognize him at all? Don't know who that is. <laughs> no. Like, do you know who he is? No. <laughs> well, 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 we'll fight him anyway, I suppose. <laughs> and I like that because so, these Cho Yun movies, for instance, they stack these reveals and twists upon each other that you you had no idea who that guy was. Like, uh, it's me. Like, <gasps> you. And they know in the movie who they are. But here, David Chang is, and his writers, Derek E and Jamie Look, uh, they do the clever thing of like, have we seen you before? <laughs> have you? No. It's great. It's because you're going to t- t- twist the tables on it and kind of, you know, uh, it's a good, it's a good gag. Because they say it's always like reveal upon reveal upon reveal, like stacked. And then with this, it, it does the same. But it's kind of like, I don't know who that is. It, it maybe shows that uh, local audiences have equal uh, hard time keeping up with these twists yeah. as we Westerners yeah. do. So. Finally, there, there's a non too subtle Star Wars reference here, but hey, well, why not? You know. The, the Imperial March comes on as the sword gets revealed, and the sword looks like a lightsaber. So, no, no, it's not even it's not even Imperial March. It's the main theme, like. Poor John will do the sounds for it. It's like, whoosh, whoosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought I'd do the sounds for you, Master. <laughs> so yeah, and uh, so really, I. I really go back to my initial opinion. It's it's hit and miss, but even airplane is hit and miss because they stack so many jokes upon each other in that movie, and it's very amusing, even clever, and uh, I I still enjoy it. I enjoy it very much, and uh, in and it's over in a heartbeat, really, because uh, yeah. it never gets uh, 
stuck in exposition dumps and what have you. So um, it's not offensive, like you know, you know, one arm swordsman. It's like yeah. it didn't offend me. Like it didn't you know bore me. But with this, yeah, I mean, it just it just flies by. It just absolutely flies by. And as a starter, kind of you know, David coming to his own as a director, I think, and for the first time. It feels colourful and, and bright and fun, which is uh, you know, which is good, and it's it's great to see that kind of that that that, that transition that he's made kind of into the new decade. And as for availability, it's part of the Joyce's Legendary Collection budget line and still available for as little as seven US dollars on Yes Asia. Bargain. Very much so. It features an older transfer, but it's still anamorphic and good-looking. Um, and uh, f- for the price, obviously, it's absolutely fine. And it's got uh, Cantonese language and English subtitles, so it ticks all the boxes. So go get it if you're interested. You can get it for once. Uh, the, the Legendary Collection is partially out of print, but uh, a fair amount of the David Chang movies still are in print. Yeah, I think I said this before. I think they just re-released them, but without the uh, slip covers. I think a lot of them are still available. They just dropped the slip covers on them. Right. The right. Uh, the legendary collection. And uh, that, that, no one would miss that because they 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 don't make the package. Those slip. They're covers. all the same. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right on. So we'll take a break and we'll be back to discuss David Chang's 1984 comedy Heaven Can Help, where Eric Tsang tries to reverse his fate and. Uh... Well, we won't spoil it, obviously, but that's the main plot of it all. So, there you go. But uh, sit tight and we'll be right back. Welcome back, and we conclude this episode with the review of Heaven Can Help by David Chang from 1984, and plot from my review of the film, All Around Bad Luck Plagues Mac Donhue's Life, and he's played by Eric Tsang. And he, of course, ends up dying horribly. The same day, I think, as all... <laughs> uh, Comedy! <laughs> Comedy! Uh, meeting demons in the afterlife with horse masks, they send him back, as he's apparently not supposed to die until three other people specifically have so mac sets out to try and change his destiny and steps into a murder plot with vicious killers so they're not natural causes as such these people are slated to be murdered murder so uh, there we go let's talk a little bit about paul tune appearing in support in the first movie he appears in support here and uh, we might as well talk a little bit about this veteran actor he's uh, one of the persons that eric sang tries to prevent from dying and this is one of hong kong cinema's most able and professional supporting actors. He's the brother of David Chang and yet another in the show business and the acting family that they are, that, that followed that path, you know. They were very much a show business family. He is still an active performer and has been so since the 60s where he must have been one of the first Hong Kong actors to appear in an international role. As we can see, I haven't seen the film, but Paul is in the Steve McQueen film, The Sand Pebbles, from 1966. Wow, okay, okay, I didn't know that. Credited as Paul Chin Pei, which is some sort of variation of his Chinese name, uh, Chun Poi. So, so it's not just Paul Chun, but Paul Chin Pei. 
got a, got a cheeky picture of him up here, yeah. Wow, okay, that's cool. I didn't know that. That's Must cool. been fairly that's young cool. at that point, yeah. Yeah, he looks really young. Really young. Um, he wasn't tied down to any particular company either, but viewers might have seen him turn up in Shaw Brothers movies, such as the 14 Amazons. He's in his brother's movies, um, uh, movie of the drug addicts. And uh, also worked in Taiwan. You know, he worked with legendary King Hu, uh, with the legendary director King Hu at the end of the 70s on Raining in the Mountain. And he's been a constant worker, you know, honing his craft. Uh, and though he never got leading man status as such, but, you know, he, we associate Paul with quite, you know, both quite nasty characters on screen, but in support. Yeah. Uh, be it in Wild Search, he plays the father of the small child, Kaka, who is essentially the high-ranking villain of that piece. He's the police officer who rapes Cecilia Yip in Hong Kong 1941. And he's the gambling opponent with a voice box in All for the Winner versus Stephen Chow. <laughs> and I think he appears in one of the other ones as well. Either top, I think he's in the top bet. No, not God of Gambles 2, but... I think he's in top bet, yeah, yeah. I remember him in that, yeah. He's also... You know, he's a versatile actor based on all of that, but also an award-winning actor and uh, none better when being directed by his half-brother Derek Yee in his debut movie as director of The Lunatics, where he plays a recovering mental patient who snaps and the results are very harrowing and very bloody. And it's a role that Paul won the Hong Kong Film Award for Best uh, Supporting Actor and uh, well-deserved. Yeah, probably deserved, yeah. Same award, um, not same award, but the same category. He won in the same category for uh, the performance in Derek Yee's Salavi Moncherie in 1993. For some reason, I don't remember his role as such, but I think he was like the dad of in in uh, in that Peking Opera performing uh, family that Anita Yun uh, uh, mm. belonged to. It uh, must have been. Uh, international audiences might have seen him in the Jet Li movie Fist of Legend. He plays the, uh, not the master of Jet Li, but uh, one of the other, you know, elders that yep. in the uh, uh, Kung Fu school because uh, his master has died. That's the, obviously the plot of uh, Fist of Legend. And he also plays versus Andy Lau in full throttle again for Derek Yee. And even uh, in the awesome international production China Strike Force with Aaron yes. Kwok and Coolio, Paul Chun is in that. I don't remember. Did he have scenes with Coolio? Do you remember that? I can't. I can't remember. I, I think. I think he was just more, more Coolio interacting with old uh, Mark Cascos there. Like, but I can't remember. No, I can't remember. It's been a while since I've seen it. It's a classic. Though. Yeah, I like it. Stanley Tong's movie. Uh, the making of anyway gave us evidence of uh, Paul speaking wonderful English. Uh, so, um, and he, I, I think he might have. He might have English language scenes in it too but uh, it's a, it's a mixed language movie as originally made a mandarin and english movie and he's still in demand he appeared in anhoy's a simple life a few years ago and still uh, performing very well i don't know if he has a tv career or not but certainly in demand and uh, still got his health seemingly so good on paul yep and that's tom's summary of it all yep 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 no paul yeah paul great actor i mean he's been in some of the best hong kong films of all time you know he- you know, he's shown up in roles in those. So, again, actor, again, he, he keeps on going, you know, his career, like, throughout how many decades now? Like, four decades, five decades? I mean, you know, to have that longevity, you've got to be doing something right. And uh, he is, you know, and he's a great, great kind of uh, elder actor. Um, and he was great in uh, Simple Life as well. Yeah, uh, that's the most recent thing. I think Shinju coincident was before that. I remember seeing him in, but he's good in that as well. Uh, he's good in Shinjuku, again, for... Uh, uh, Derek. And even Derek's like uh, 
comeback movie, Lost in Time. He played Cecilia Churn's father, I believe, in a very good role because they had kind of an antagonistic relationship. Or rather, he I think he didn't like her kid. Is that a drama? Yes, yes. Uh, it's the, um, Cecilia Churn's uh, loses her husband in a bus uh, accident. Uh, Louis Ku's character and Lao Ching Wan plays uh, his colleague that kind of uh, supports her during that time. Very good drama. It's the movie that she won the award for, Cecilia. Very good, very good movie. And he hadn't made a movie in like eight or nine years or something, Derek, and came back with uh, Lost in Time, big time. What what a veteran actor like Paul can do is to say nothing but communicate everything, you know, um, because he, he softens a little bit as the movie goes along and uh, he just needs to do it in the, in the looks. And by now, the working relationship is quite, it was solid from the beginning. Because working with your family is not a given thing that can work out. No. But, but obviously... Uh, it has generated awards and uh, working comfort, I'm sure, working with his brother, Derek. Uh, right on. So that's Paul. Let's move on to the Heaven Can Help review. I'll lead this time. It's, it will be short opinion. It's not perfect. It has its lulls, definitely. But what I personally like is that David Chang clearly sets out to mix moods heavily as an experiment, kind of, in order for it to meet in the middle as some kind of darkly comical tale of destiny. That, that's his, like, intent. For me, this is very personal. The style is infectious when mixing in heavy-duty violence versus Richard Ng as a pipe-smoking detective with his own methods. Yeah, that's very amusing. And Eric Tsang is therefore, like, despite being lead, he's not the reason to firmly, for me, acknowledge Heaven Can Help, but it belongs to this group of 80s new wave efforts with fairly fresh creative juice that wasn't afraid of doom and gloom and especially not comedic doom and gloom this is not like yeah and then murder but rather it's a dark comedy you know it is a mixed bag but i'm weak for the mixed package here uh mood wise uh so that's my long or, or fairly long short opinion so what did you think of a heaven can help my opinion it's a wacky comedy slasher hybrid I'd say it's it's kind of bizarre. It takes a turn kind of, you know, partway through. Again, it's made with, with colour and love and, uh, you know, kind of it pops at times. Um, and I think, you know, it might be easier viewing for me and for you. I mean, it sits in that category, that kind of 80s, you know, Hong Kong comedy that it's just a certain vibe. It's a certain, uh, you know, place in time that you can just easily sit through it, you know, dependent on quality. But I think it does, there's this really there's quality moments at times. And again, like you're saying, yeah, it's good that you can kind of, it's almost like it's, it's not black comedy. It's kind of just comedy dealing with dark things because it's still quite funny, which is good. And it's a, that's a hard, that's a hard task uh, to make a film like that. Indeed. And it was made at Cinema City, who we talked of. They gave us Aces Go Places. Uh, they gave us subsequently, after this movie, Better Tomorrow, City on Fire, Chinese Ghost Story. I mean, they were... During my initial, like, Hong Kong cinema fandom, it seems like every movie I watched was Cinema City. Mm, uh, yeah, that, true, that, true. that wonderful logo at that time. It's not the same as on this movie, like... Dun, 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 like the C, like the, the multiple Cs uh, entering the screen, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and often Film Workshop followed that because Troy Hack produced many of these, so... Uh, but, you know, we talked of this being a gloomy movie. You wouldn't think that looking at the poster. This is a goofy poster with big faces. Like, <laughs> small bodies... Big faces, like... Them watercolours, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great poster. (laughs) Opening already signals that it's not that. Because, you know, Wong Wan Si, actress Wong Wan Si visits a Buddhist monk uh, trying to uh, 
make sense of her brother's fate and what have you. And uh, death is in the air, you know, and uh, that's the mood that will kind of run through the movie. It's not like it cuts to 80 minutes subsequently of ayah humor and, uh, you know, Eric Sang chasing girls and what have you and Kung Fu and, (laughs) you know. But uh, I I think that there's a amusing credit here that's actually incorrect. It says production design by Eric Tsang. Yeah, I saw that. I mean, did he did he do that? I no, mean... no. I uh, the credit on uh, Hong Kong Movie Database is planner, which is uh, not oh, to have it. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because you almost think like sets and stuff, don't you? you no, think for heaven's sake. Like, <laughs> Eric was there doing a bit of carpentry. Like. <laughs> I'm sure. It, I'm sure it would be feasible. <laughs> But I, I'm pretty sure that wasn't it. Then Planner is, uh, because he worked behind the scenes. So, um, that's what Hong Kong Movie Database uh, says. And I just think it's a, a mislabeled kind of thing in the credits, you know. Well, cause isn't, isn't David, uh, credited as, uh, different name, isn't he in this one? John, John, is John Chang? John Chang is. Yep. He went back to his personal name. I mean, the history there is that David Chang Dawei is what was chosen for him at Shaw Brothers because Dawei David, David Chen. Again, a sign of him kind of maybe stretching out and breaking free of that, you know, Shaw Brothers kind of, you know, thing. Yeah, maybe he was just, you know, he knew he was coming to his own as a director and he wanted a new fresh start. Maybe that's... Because is he credited as that in um, film after this, in uh, Silent Love? I don't remember. uh, Some movies might not even have, like, an English credit on there. And uh, it's... This is a theory, but maybe he wanted to take himself out of the picture a little bit now that he could. Uh, but, but of course, maybe Chinese readers and audiences will, will pick up on it quickly because the Chinese name wasn't different, uh, whether it was uh, his Cantonese name or Mandarin name up there. Uh, Chang Dawei is uh, Cantonese, uh, Mandarin, I believe, and uh, Gung, uh, John Gung or John Chang is uh, what you saw on, on some movies. Probably in this case, is John Chang as the, as the directing credit. And he also shows up as a taxi driver <laughs> in a nice little, nice little cameo, yeah. As a Macau taxi. Ca- ma- pri- previously, um, uh, he was a Macau Grand Prix driver that had an accident, and now he's a Macau, uh, rather, a taxi driver. A little bit of a nutter, if you will. So, uh, But uh, <laughs> it's a small cameo that doesn't really matter for the movie. But hey, uh, he, there was a role to fill in. He took it as possible. It's it's good for once. You see this in Hong Kong movies sometimes, where they attempt for us to translate puns and jokes because the name of Eric Tsang's character Don Macu, ah, yeah, yeah. Don Yu, apparently in some shape or form can be translated to downhill. Yep. So and that's in the subtitles. So good that they either did that originally or they retranslated it to make that name super clear because it's not subtle and he obviously dies going downhill too in the movie so uh so it's not just a wah 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 gag it's it's uh it's all in the name here so uh, uh but 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 cut to initially you have kind of a wah 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 section of the movie because eric sang slips down a mel a mel there's a melon on the stairs obviously so he slips <laughs> <laughs> he slips on that and uh, I love that. He, he avoids the banana intentionally and then slips on the melon amazing how do you feel Sang works here where because the role is comedic, but not mm. Eric Sang loud comedic. But also, if you take into the fact that Eric Sang does not dub himself here, you know, how do you think he fares? True, in general? yeah, it's more strange. That might be due to the fact that he's not dubbing himself. It's not, it's not his own his own voice doing it. It kind of feels like it's a lot. It's a lot more restraint. There's not. I mean, there's not many moments I can. That I found him annoying or found him kind of over the top. I mean, he was 
a lot more kind of restraint in a role. So, but again, I think it's because he's 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 starring in it really, like rather than in being the kind of psychic. I think it's when he's in those psychic roles that he tends to get a bit annoying, kind of with his with his shtick. But with when he's kind of, I mean, I think when he's got a starring role like in this decade, kind of during the eighties, he's probably a bit more restraint because I think that just for ninety minutes would be. A bit hard to bear. <laughs> You're right. It does take it down a notch. It's only that loud and upbeat in the beginning because the character realizes that the seriousness of the situation as throughout the movie. So it's not this jolly guy, uh, despite having witnessed horrible murders or anything. Uh, uh, Robbie he becomes more confident because you know he, he knows he can't die. Uh, so he becomes quite confident and takes his clothes off at one point. <laughs> Good, that is. I think it's, uh, that's, that's something that I kind of, I'm sad that they didn't go further with. Because it's only like in a few scenes that that's kind of made apparent that he's kind of invincible. I think it would be hilarious to kind of have like a bit more on that. But uh, what are you going to do? His day here is all about, you know, the world's most bad luck ever. You know, all bad news this day, you know. And uh, he, he apparently attracts it, like you read about, because he witnesses a, a robbery and he runs away from it with the robber. But when the police catches him, he, he says that, I've been in court five times this week. I ran because I don't want to be a witness again. <laughs> I've done my civic duty like five times already this week. So they do, they do let him off, actually. But uh, it's that kind of uh, vibe that surrounds him and it, as you said this 80s Hong Kong cinema vibe at least it's always approachable even random movies based on a name and minute cast list only uh, without any knowledge of genre content like I don't know what David Chang's double fattiness is about but I'll watch it I mean it's got th- those kids in it so it's that, that image isn't it cast list image yeah I'll watch it and I'll sit through it you know it's what it's 90 minutes okay let's jump on it it's, it's probably it's 90 minutes I can't believe uh, I, can't, I can't believe for a second it's two hours you know <laughs> it's three three it's three hours long <laughs> it's my lord of the rings essentially so like okay <laughs> double fattiness all is played for comedy here like his bad luck yeah and uh, obviously when he goes into the office, he gets fired. And I love the gag where they show, like, well, after we employed you, business has gone down to the point where the graph is not even on the graph board anymore. They, uh, the graph is on the window, like the sales graph, ready to jump off. And then it's like further down. It's on an IV drip. <laughs> <laughs> So they really like so that like this is how bad sales get. We have to put sales on IV on an IV trip, which is obviously okay. That, that's not realism, but it is very, very you know inspired in a way. Definitely, definitely. And again, again, it's, it's it goes hand in hand with the previous film. That the gags do feel you know inspired. Like there's some thought behind them. They don't you know, lazy. They are good visual gags. I love the company he works for. It's called Brass. Oh yeah, yeah. What do you, what do you sell? Brass. <laughs> what, what, what do you sell at that company? Yeah, it, it's some of Chang's best gags because this part of the movie contains most of the gags, and the second half is, is like the violent slasher movie, really uh, mixed in with Richard Um, I suppose. It feels like um, what's the name of Eric Sang? It kind of goes from kind of funny to kind of serious, kind of slasher film. With the uh, with 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 um you know the film with uh, Chow Yun Fat scared, scared scared stiff is what I'm talking about right on right on yeah yes right. yes, yes, yes 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 scared stiff because it's again it's that same thing it's kind of that, that comedy into that's really broad though that that goes from super broad <laughs> yeah, to know, super I violent <laughs> I, I love it for it like, sex robots to Eric Sang getting viciously yeah yeah 
the movie as designed though is never like shot in a very colorful way. The transfer is pretty dark, but I think it's genuinely shot in in quite a gloomy way too. That David Chang never veers from. You know, he sets up this style, this visual style, and that is what we're gonna see throughout the movie and kind of feel as uh, that hint in the opening credits is it's your hint that this movie is gonna be dark too and 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 sometimes very laugh out loud funny when Richard uh, enters the movie we'll 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 get to that but uh, it's a good sequence because this whole day because David Chan keeps that moving as well and he just pours on the bad luck and the bad luck and the bad luck and eventually he dies but what I like about depiction of the 80s here as an aside is that you can buy 20 beers for 100 Hong Kong dollars (laughs) Twenty. I mean, he's got how many he's got there? Like, geez, I mean, that's a good night <laughs> right there. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to stand up after ten. I think. <laughs> I was gonna say, it's a good, good effort there from old Eric. If that's how many he's got through. So eventually, he falls down downhill. You know, as his characters call that. So the biggest visual playtime, I suppose, happens in the afterlife. So uh, what? Who does he meet? And uh, want to try and describe that sequence of? Uh, it's not afterlife. It's kind of the uh, middle part of afterlife. Um, yeah. What's it called? Um... Oh, 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 I'm blanking today. <laughs> uh, between heaven and hell. You know, purg- is purgatory? <laughs> but, but I know what you're getting at. But regardless, describe what happens as he dies. You know, uh, who does he meet? And in what uh, in what kind of a room does he meet them? Apparently, Xing uh, Fuan and Xing Fuan apparently play Horsehead and the... Uh, is, it, is it a bull? As, as well, as well in 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 uh is in it credited is it credited as yeah that? yeah yeah Fu and Fu on someone must have confirmed that or it actually says that in the credits in the chinese credits who knows but hey there you go it's a bizarre it's a very 80s sci-fi take on on, on purgatory and what that looks like yeah it, <laughs> it, is, it's uh, a spaceship it's, it's what it is he's in a... <laughs> it's star trek all right it's, it's it's what it is with uh you know with weird plastic animal masks and <laughs> very very bizarre very very weird it's an interesting you know take on that in that in terms of the plot kind of hinges on the fact that oh it's not your time to go yet and this is what's going to happen you like these people are going to go before you and this is what's going to happen to them I, I i do like that i mean that's it's an interesting it's an usual kind of afterlife hong kong hijinks it's kind of an interesting that he's actually working against the clock and he's working against time and and they're not necessarily saying to him, I think, anyway, that if you prevent these, uh, you can live. It's it's just like these three needs to go, and then you'll come up here. So, yeah. but he but he has his own idea. That, okay, I, I bought some time now. I can stop this. So, uh, and and the flashes of uh, those murders are quite, you know, even a clearer signal of how dark the movie is gonna go because he, he steps into this chamber and you get these epileptic style flashes of uh, the three murders so um, that that we see later in the movie that whoa whoa David Chang you are going that route okay cool it does get yeah dark I think I think uh, is it Miss pa- Miss Powell uh, I, th- I think that death re- it was, it's quite uncomfortable it's I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's about showers. It's that whole psycho thing, isn't it? Like showers and and blood, and it, it's 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 horrible. I mean, it works. It works. It works well. So, but but to switch into comedy, do you think that's comfortable? Because we are essentially switching to Richard entering the scene with a bang. Do do, do you think that works uh, in the movie? It's it, it's kind of almost it's kind of almost bizarre the way it changes. But I think it it, it kind of retains that comedic 
that kind of comedic factor and then Richard comes in it kind of shoots up a bit and then it's kind of slowly pulled away from us into kind of dark territory so I think it's good but I mean yeah Richard is, is even more broad I mean the first time you see him is in a fucking like banana suit and he puts his you know car through a fucking you know policeman <laughs> he's gonna drive up to the crime scene and his brakes do not work so he crashes cars and brakes bikes and uh, what have you and then steps out in a fedora and a hat and a Pipe, you know, looking very classic, very suave, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, as you said, there's, like, there's like a theme of like yellow and green, like clothing here. Like I think, I think Eric's like wearing like his, his little number, like yellow and green number he's wearing as well. So kudos to the uh, wardrobe department, uh, you know, bringing that freshness in. Yeah, underneath that fedora, he, he he's all he's got. He's woken up in the middle of the night, so he has no time. He's had time to change for a little bit. So he's put on a banana suit, but he's still in his pajama bottoms, as it turns out. <laughs> so he, he's no Danny Lee, sir. You know, he's a, he's a wacky cop. But the brilliant thing of having Richard here, despite being dubbed by someone else too, is he's such a great reactor. At the police station, when the reporters come in, they ask questions that are not related to the crime, but rather his accidents and all the crap oh, he's yeah, done yeah, to yeah. his to his uh, junior policeman. And as Richard starts reacting to that, his eyes starts widening up like, oh no, they're doing that to me. Like, I love Richard's reaction. He doesn't chew them out. It's just, he just, his expression is wonderful. And that's why he's such a brilliant comedic reactor. But yeah, it's, it's just yeah, great kind of reactor stuff and and just whatever's thrown at him. I think that's that's part of his, his charm. Is, is He starts stealing the fucking movie is what he's doing. He starts he does, stealing he does, the movie. He does, it kind of takes away from it and you're thinking, okay, is it going to be, you know, what's going on with these guys? And it does, it does. And I think that's that's why they need that kind of boost, that dark boost towards the back end to make you kind of interested again in, uh, you know, Eric's story. Uh, but <laughs> it's, it's good. He gets, some, he gets some really good stuff. He gets some really good kind of gags, some side gags. I mean, with the throwing his hat out the window and ripping <laughs> his trousers. He gets some really good gags kind of into that one little scene, his introductory scene. He instructs his, or his, uh, um, his um, the bearded cop, the bearded obese cop that works for him, uh, to get rid of the reporters. That bearded cop shoots his gun into the air in, inside a police station, which is uh, delights Rick. It helps because he delights the Richard character and he says to him, like, finally, you learned something from me. <laughs> 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 and, and he's so irrational too. Uh, the, the banter is kind of strong between those uh, characters that if he doesn't know something, he still orders his uh, juniors, if you will, to find it. Like he, he says at one point, find those masks to devils from the afterlife and uh, find my future wife. Find mask devils from from the underworld. <laughs> because he needs to show authority somehow, even if it's irrational. So um, I... Richard is almost per default funny, but he, obviously he needs to put in effort. And his broad scenes really work. And he's got a latter one with Paul Chun that I'm sure we'll talk of. Uh, it is an unpredictable time, but it's not bogged down by extended comedy banter just to fill up the 90 minutes. Uh, maybe if you really look at the sequence, like this doesn't belong. But you have Richard Um to elevate it. And boy, does he have an elevator. I think he's wonderful in the movie. Like uh, this is... Uh, him coming in on an, on a on a couple of nights, you know, and doing his thing, you yeah, know, and yeah. then so uh, it's only a short, small role. Um, it just kind of really just punctuates kind of everything in between. It kind of lifts it up into kind of comedy territory a bit more, and then kind of brings it back down with the darker stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's it's it's, it's not a lot, but I think he he adds he adds substantially to the film. The only lull that I spoke of uh, really, but I I fear that the movie kind of was losing me was 
there's a very long sequence between Eric Tsang and a fortune teller where he uh, sits there and uh, kind of calculates his fortune. Yeah, and has... that wasn't great. Yeah, yeah, there's not really any payoff with it, is there really? I thought that was as well. Because, I mean, it was like he he he, he should have realised himself that he needed to kind of, you know, do... He could have had that realisation anywhere, do you know what I mean, about, you know, helping the other two people. He could have had it anywhere. He could have just been walking down the street afterwards, but they elongate it with this kind of odd scene with somebody else. Uh, that kind of feels unnecessary, but... The, the movie does find its speed because, again, or rather, eventually, because that's what the movie is about, obviously, that he is... It's a ticking clock thing, you know, he needs to prevent these murders that are determined by fate, but can you change fate, you know, and all yeah. that. It's not a deep examination of it, but that's obviously what it is. But And and eventually, David Chang finds back to that and uh, shows that he seems to have watched at this time or for a few years Western cinema, because we get, as you alluded to in your short opinion, a very pronounced slasher side to the movie, yeah. which is indicative of anything from Friday the 13th to Dario Argento. It felt, yeah, that's what, it felt very kind of like Jally-esque, didn't it? Kind of the certain scenes near the back end, like with the kind of first person. It's not a lot of it, but it did feel like that, just kind of the darkness of it and kind of the first person POVs, uh, you know, of him with with a weapon and it definitely, it was de- definitely influenced there, especially at this time now. I mean, you're right in the peak of slasher kind of popularity, aren't you, really? Like 84, kind of like right, right bang in the middle of it. It's like a... Um... Friday the Thirteenth Part Four or yeah, Eighty Four, for instance. Four, yeah, and uh, and Halloween had only done two, I think, or three. But uh, and uh, yeah, he does quite a gruesome uh, murder sequence that turns out to be a, a movie shoot within the movie. But it's uh, mm. that that murder sequence where he axes uh, that uh, puppet of Miss Powell, you know, uh, puts an axe into her, and there's blood all over the place. It's like good, that's... yeah, it's good. I thought that was that's, that's a really good scene. That is, yeah, that's some good, some good effects. Uh, that's a really good effect as well. But that's that makes it, it's quite it's quite uncomfortable as well. It's it's good. I think her, her, that, and then the actual you know kind of real death of her is uh, it's good. It's uncomfortable. It's not kind of just silly. It's very kind of dark and, and well done. Yeah, I mean it, it throughout reaches me that that mix of moods that still makes sense compared to some other movies that just have you know huge comedy and huge darkness rather than this having a little bit more milder comedy and huge darkness it's, it, it, it still reaches me I think it's very enjoyable to continue to watch it uh, it may not be balanced criticism actually because I'm so weak for it but I think yeah. I, I think David Chang is still on to the mix here and Doing it quite well, and uh, I, I don't think he uses Cherry Chung very well, but I'm all for any movie with Cherry Chung, because she's... Of course, of course. Uh, yeah, she doesn't really get a chance to do a lot apart from kind of Dances in Distress. But yeah, I mean, I think with the tones, it's almost like hand-in-hand hand, rather than kind of black and white, like really big, like, hey, this is really, you know, into one territory in terms of comedy, and this is really into one territory in terms of, you know, dark kind of slasher-esque. I think they go hand-in-hand, hand and it, it works kind of tonally as well, which is a bit bizarre. Um, for it to work, but I think it does for some reason. And and, and the dips into comedy are quite suitable because when Paul Chun is uh, trying to strangle uh, Eric Sang to death, he's so confident, like, you can't kill me, I'll cough <laughs> at most! And he might have fucked up being so confident, but he, he, he does strangle him, he throws him into the river, and Eric Sang is fine. So it's it seems to work, you know, because it's not his time yet. And even if he did die, he'll probably just go back to the horseman and then back again. Yeah. You know, back again, yeah, I kind of died once. Well, go back again. So go back out again. <laughs> like, okay, see ya. But we don't get a sequence like that. So um, 
I think David Chang is so inspired working with uh, Richard Umdok, Richard Um, because the interrogation scene with him and Paul Chun, who is in the hospital now and has broken his legs, is <laughs> is is quite effective interrogation. He stuffs down his pipe between his toes and into the band like the bandage, and that apparently hurts. And then when they catch Richard. He quickly takes it out, stuffs it into his mouth. Oh my god, it's salty. Because, oh no, yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> because it's been between his toes or what have you. And I love that, like, beat, beat, beat type of gag. You know? Yeah, yeah, that kind of just constant kind of gag, 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 gag. It's good. I think there was like a, there was like a, a making of Return of the Jedi playing on the TV in that scene. Did you notice that? No, I did not. It was bizarre on the TV, like, behind it. I just saw C-3PO and I was like, what? What, what, what you know? What what is that? And it looks like it's kind of behind the scenes of Return of the Jedi. <laughs> yeah, there was some tapes and laser discs of that around. Maybe they they, they chucked that in there. <laughs> so so, what do you want to watch, Paul? I want to watch the making of Return of the Jedi. Like, okay, you can watch anything you like. You're a patient here. <laughs> How specific is that? Like, I want to watch making of Return of the Jedi. I like. I like those Ewoks. They're cool. <laughs> so. Um... I mean, it's not a breakout movie, but it is decent confirmation of Chang's comfort. Reconfirmation, because we got Owl. Extension of that, kind of his confidence and and kind of, you know, not return to, but kind of start of, you know, very kind of colourful and and imaginative filmmaking. Yeah, he could have a wild time, you know, and uh, Mad World of Fools was this attempt at a wild time that really was forced and... uh, It just still felt restrained. I think that's the problem. It still felt very restrained, even though it was kind of trying to be kind of quirky and kind of silly. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we we, we keep it spoiler-free. I mean, we we can say that there is a... The the murderer is is, a... quite pronounced uh, <laughs> member of the cast list that uh, dresses up. Member, yeah. yeah, 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 which is good. Which From, is cool. uh, which you don't expect necessarily out of that uh, no. person. Um, dresses up as a nurse and uh, and a traffic cop to kind of um, get inside hospital and houses that way. And um, mm. that's uh, that, that's like the back end of the movie is more of that chase scenario of uh, that actor versus um, both Paul Chun and uh, Cher Chung and... Um, you know, it's not reference suspense or anything, but it is it is pretty pretty decent. Uh, I, lo- I, lo- I, lo- I do like the moment when she realizes what the house is. Like that's that's quite an inventive kind of moment as well. When she's like banging on the doors and she realizes what happens. That that's that's awesome as well. Yeah, it's uh, it earns being that dark the movie. I suppose it does. It it dedicates itself to that darkness and uh, provides uh, a mix that isn't uh, completely like contrast in nature. Even though Richard. Mm. Mm, seemingly it's that contrast but it's uh it's very funny and uh, uh i wouldn't uh, have him uh, out of the movie or anything I, I really i really enjoy him being there because it's it's him uh, he's um he's yeah. uh it's on fire as usual even though it's maybe this is autopilot original but uh, what an autopilot uh, state if you, <laughs> you can do that naturally then you know yeah you you, you made it haven't you <laughs> I don't have any other notes. So do you want to say anything else uh, no 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 so i've got I've, i wrote faints at cock I think that was uh, in reference to Eric Sands' um, nudie scene. I think, that, <laughs> I, think uh, I think that's what I was talking about. I found that hilarious. Yeah, he's quite confident at that point that he... Uh, t- yeah. He, he, well, what is he? He's at the fashion show at that point. He's at the uh, fashion show, yeah. Because the fact... Are we going to talk about this DVD cover? Like, what's, 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 going, like, what's going on with that? This well, 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 describe it first of all. It's an alternate poster for the movie. It's not uh, the, the cartoon poster. It's um, it's uh, of uh, Cherry and Eric. And uh, what are they doing there? It's their kind of their new romance 
romantic kind of phase they were going through in the early 80s in the band they had. It, it, the serious, serious haircut tour, 1983. It's, it's different. I mean, it was, it was a time when they were in the band together and, uh, you know, doing a bit of blipping and blooping. Um, and it's it's fairly magnificent to behold. <laughs> is, all, is all I can say on that. I mean, they've got some of those shoulder pads just going there, just working them, kind of leather kind of situation. Um, there's a lot of that heavy eye makeup as well. I mean, you need to see it really don't you can really let's let's just get it out there it's a strange alternate because at most the 80s pop reference is present during the fashion show but i don't think she appears in the clothes and wig see she appears similar to that obviously eric doesn't get dressed up so i'm thinking that maybe you know how i mean it doesn't happen these days but i suppose with kind of production art and lobby cards um for you know filmmaking kind of back then during this period there was obviously film stills they'd take that were posed for and 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 kind of uh you know they weren't, they weren't just kind of you know clicks of certain scenes they were kind of posed for kind of behind the scenes production so i'm only guessing at one point that they got Eric dressed up in the same clothes and, and, and took a few snaps for you know if you, if you what turned you know out to be an alternate poster it's amazing Maybe to mess with the audience, it's like, hey, this happens too. We promise. This happens in the film. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. We'll we'll, uh, we'll try and link you um, to that um, alternate art uh, as well. It's on the back of the DVD. The 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 front of the DVD has uh, that cartoony poster art, and the back has uh, the alternate, which is uh, a, a good thing about these Joy Sales releases. They, I like that. Yeah, yeah, they're cool. They are. They do that. Wonder if they do that on the on the re-releases because the slipcase, the back of that, has all the specs. That's true, actually. Yeah, so there would be lost. You wouldn't have any specifications on it. It'd just be the DVD, wouldn't it? Like with the two covers. That's, that's weird. I, that would be fine, yeah, but it would be typically slo- Hong Kong sloppy if they just uh, <laughs> yeah. do it that way. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen any other re-releases. I haven't bought any for a long time. I bought a fair few uh, when they came out, including this one. I don't. Even, I can't even afford laser discs nowadays. So uh, it's, uh, it's been a while, but I still have plenty to watch. So that's fine. Uh, but okay, as for availability, it was, as we said, put out as part of Joy Sales' legendary collection, but it's listed currently as out of stock, for instance, at Yasasia. But specs are the same as Legend of the Owl, multiple languages, Cantonese Mandarin, subtitled, somewhat dated to transfer, but obviously functional. Uh, these were budget titles uh, or a budget line for a very good price, so uh, no, like, uh, you know, newly remastered uh, thing or anything. Uh, but uh, hopefully it'll come back in stock either the old version or the re-release or the repressing. Uh, but uh, anyway, next time I am, I envisioned this series being four episodes long, despite fourteen movies to cover. I mean, uh, by now we've done six, right? And most I've seen and own, but not all of David's directed movies. The next episode I want to do one of the ones I haven't seen, like either Mr. Handsome or Double Fattiness for main coverage combined with the drama comedy about parental responsibility starring Richard M and Josephine Chow called Wrong Couples. Uh, might have been a sync sound movie too, which is pretty great, but I, I liked it. It's a chance for Richard M to be quite dramatic, and it's a sweet film. But the actual lineup of what will be quick takes versus main coverage along that movie will we'll announce on the Facebook group because I don't know exactly if all movies are available. So so keep, keep an eye out on the Facebook group, simply put. But... Uh, uh, four episodes long, unless something drastically changes, if you will. Uh, but episode two, therefore, is done. So this has been the director series on the Podcast on Fire network. We are on podcastonfire.com. Rest of the shows and bonus episodes on there. Email podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Facebook, like our page, facebook.com forward slash puf network. And join the discussion group 
available as a link on that page or type in Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search bar. Follow our tweets, twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire. My writing of various Hong Kong movies, Taiwanese movies, and ninja exploitation. So good reviews.com and I video review at sleazykvideo.com. And my tweets are at so good reviews. That's the username. The director series is available on iTunes. Rate and subscribe. And if you have the time, please leave a written comment if you like the show or regardless of what you want to say of the show, you can just do that in one or two sentences. That will be very much sufficient iTunes will approve that. That's the point. And finally, stream us on Stitcher Radio, available online, but also the application for your iPhone or iPad. And type in Director Series once you're in Stitcher to find us and follow. Uh, you can follow our updates uh, that way too. And uh, you have reviewed uh, not a David Chang movie, but a Paul Chun movie at vcinemashow.com. And maybe, have you been inspired enough to write about a David Chang movie in this series for vcinemashow.com? No, I haven't. But you know, Ken, I've got my niche. You know, I'm I'm looking kind of to the you know what the kids want, which is kind of like you know films of the last few years and stuff. You know what I mean? Like you are 12 years old after all. So. Of course, of course. I was going with that with the kids. <laughs> There's an archive there. Just check it out, and it, and you know, Ken will link to uh, Simple Life Review in the show info. Sure will. Anything you says ends up in the link section. So, uh, but okay, we're done. Thank you very much for listening to the director series 15 on David Chang's uh, 80s movies. Yeah, we've done 15 of these. Nam Nai Choi, Kirk Wong, and now David Chang. It's uh, across 15 episodes, man. So, man. This is, we'll see you for the 16th. So, thank you very much. I've been Kenobi, and with me was Tom KW. Say bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs>